Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you a fellow inventor. His name is Ellie Packhouse. And he's the CEO and co-founder of Insafloss. Good morning, Ellie. Good morning, David. Glad to be here. I appreciate you being here. And he's live in Mexico working on the production of his products. I'm so excited to hear the latest details. So kick us off with the why. Why did you start Insafloss and invent the product? Well, it started with uh, something that I think a lot of people can relate to. Uh, Number one. You may find yourself in a situation where you just don't want to floss. It just, the the amount of effort seems incredibly daunting. And I found myself in a similar situation like that, where I was on my way to a meeting, but I had just eaten a whole ton of mango and I was like trying to get stuff out. I was like, there has to be a better way. This is taking forever. And the second thing is that even people who do floss, uh, we find that the results tend not to be so great. If you compare the scientific studies of people who floss themselves versus people who get flossed by dentists, you see quite a large disparity between those two groups. So the two issues we have is people aren't flossing and the people who are flossing are not doing it correctly. So we needed a device that would solve both of those problems, that would do it for you, that would do it for you quickly, automatically, and so floss does it in 10 seconds and does it correct every time. Very cool. So I have to tell you, every time I stop and get an everything bagel, I find myself struggling with all little tiny poppy seeds end up between my teeth. So that, that'd be a great, obviously you have to have electricity and it's not a mobile thing, but it'd be so cool if I can say, okay, it's a floss while I'm driving or it's a floss when I get to my destination and all the poppy seeds will be gone. It's like the That's one the aggravating idea. food I eat that this always gets everywhere. And I try and find different ways to eat it so it doesn't get in between my teeth, but it just does. Uh, that's really funny. That's like, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, you know, I, I mean, obviously every food can get stuck between your teeth, but for me, it's always the everything bagel with all the tiny little poppy seeds and little uh, little seasoning on top of the bagel that just gets everywhere. And you don't want to have a big black dot on your teeth, you know, while you're talking to people throughout the day. So it's like, it makes you more sensitive or more, uh, you know, just it's just more intuitive about the, the issue of that, you know, sitting on your teeth. It's also so not good me- for your oral or uh, physical health in general. Uh, so that's, that's true. So there's that. <laughs> exactly. So, Elliot, help me understand the process you've gone through. Like, how, when did you have the idea? Uh, when did you come up with your first prototype? Give me an idea of like the time frame when this all began, when the utility patent was issued, things like that. Yeah. So, this has actually been five years in the making. Um, late, which is crazy long. Uh, so late 2017, uh, I had the concept that, you know, oh, something needed to be done. But then the question was, what? Uh, how do you solve the problem? So I started rent, uh, uh, getting periodontal textbooks. I started reading everything I could find on the science of flossing, every uh, article that I could find published in any journal to understand what the problem was. And I 
discovered through my research that water flossing is actually more effective than string flossing because water, it, water molecules are smaller than string molecules, so they can get in smaller places and cling deeper underneath the gum line. And, you know, your gums go a full 360 degrees around each tooth, kind of like a, a fence post in, a, in the ground. Um, water flossing can clean all the way around or string only cleans between. So I, know, I knew that I wanted to use water. Uh, in order to accomplish this. However, water flossing has one major flaw, and that is it takes even longer than string flossing. And the number one reason people give for not flossing is that it takes too long. <laughs> so they make the number one complaint even worse. So it's like, okay, how do we take the number one complaint and make it better? So the first concept I actually had and the first prototypes I was doing was of a mouth guard. And, you know, you put the mouth guard in and all the jets come in from everywhere and, and try to floss all the areas. The issue became quite apparent uh, quickly was twofold. One, I would have to make a custom mouth guard for each individual person. And if we were to do that, that's not mass manufacturable. And that means that the product would be about $900 per person, uh, which, you know, you can solve the flossing problem maybe, but not for everyone at that price point. So the second uh, issue with that, with a mouth guard concept, is that the jets are stagnant. And because the jets are stagnant, you can only aim them at a limited number of places, which means you can clean between the teeth, but not a full 360 degrees around the teeth. So if we were to go with the mouth guard prototype, we would make the device way more expensive and not mass manufacturable for fewer results. And that's just the opposite of uh, any sort of trade-off <laughs> that you want to make. So after doing a number of uh, prototypes, uh, actually it was my co-founder, Dr. Ralph Roud, who had the, the breakthrough idea that we can make it a, a cross-section of a mouth guard. So instead of the whole mouth guard, we just make an H shape where the top of the H goes over your top teeth, the bottom of the H goes over your bottom teeth, and then that because there's a rotating inlet through which the water comes through, it can go around your teeth from one molar all the way around to the other. And that way we can mass manufacture it and clean 360 degrees around every tooth with a 90 degree angle, which is the correct angle, assuring 100% coverage, removing the user errors. So you get a perfect floss every time in 10 seconds. And that was the sort of breakthrough idea. So that was in 2018, we filed the patents I don't remember exactly how long it took for the patents to be granted because it's a long process to go from like provisional to file to we had a patent hearing and you know all that stuff um so i don't remember the exact year it was granted but the patents are granted now and then we had to go from okay we have a patented concept uh we have working prototypes but before we go and sink tons of money into this, does it work? Or do we have to change anything uh, to make sure it works? Because, you know, if you're, if, you know, you could have a floss in zero seconds if you don't care about the results uh, by just not flossing. So we knew that uh, we had to test it thoroughly and make perhaps iterations to, to the product. Um, so that actually was uh, quite a few stages. The first was getting the right, uh, uh, advisor to see us through that. And eventually we connected with Dr. Adam Mascarenhas, who's the uh, chair of the American Dental Association Council of Scientific Affairs. And she advised us on 
the whole process. And we started actually by flossing pigs uh, to see uh, how deep underneath the gums we were cleaning, how much plaque we were removing, because pig tissue is actually quite similar to, uh, uh, to human tissue. So, you know, going into this process, I never thought that uh, I, I would see the day when we're, we're, we're flossing pigs, but, but hey, that's all part of the process. Uh, and then we went and we, we had to test it on humans and we, uh, after making some iterations, you know, some back and forth engineering that we mostly did with the pig studies, uh, we tested on humans and we found ourselves to be more effective than anything currently on the market. So then we moved to crowdfunding. Uh, we pre-sold $2.5 million worth of Instafloss uh, via crowdfunding. And now, uh, five years after the initial concept, I'm in Mexico where we're manufacturing and uh, we should be delivering in the next couple months. How exciting. What a process. And that's a heck of a crowdfunding uh, campaign. That's not easy to do. Well, everybody has teeth and uh, everybody ought to floss, but nobody wants to. And I think the concept is within the floss, they will. 100%. And through that whole process of iterations and testing and prototyping and learning, what did you say you learned from some of those, I wouldn't even say mistakes really, they're just kind of, you're testing. So it's it's not necessarily a mistake per se, but were there any steps in the process where you're like, oh, let's, let's go with this manufacturer or this supplier and like, oh, you know what, after we see the quality, the consistency or the price point or the ability to deliver or ship, it's, it's not going to work out. We better change gears before it's we're too deep. Did you find there's any steps in the process where you thought you're going to go one way and change directions or was it kind of all smooth sailing kind of walk me through a little bit of that product launch process yeah absolutely and the answer is yes multiple times of course uh, i mean the first thing which i already touched on was the change of the paradigm from the mouth guard to the uh to the h shaped device. I mean, that was a whole paradigm shift of being like, we're going in one direction and realizing if we go down this path, the product's going to be $900 and not even be as good. Right. Uh, not go down that path, let's completely switch gears, which of course changes the whole patent. Um, but I would say another thing, we lost about a year, I would say, in manufacturing time because we had a certain part, and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, you know, for except for the, the you know the few engineers out there. But we had a we had a part that was supposed to be sonic welded, and we actually hired a contracting firm uh, that is quite a one of the largest uh, American uh, uh, engineering contracting firms that that is supposed to give this advice and be really well qualified. Uh, I won't throw names just to not start like, you know, crazy flame wars online, but they saw uh, our plan to Sonic World apart and they thought it was fine as well. But then when it actually came to manufacturing, it turned out that that part could not be Sonic welded, which, however, because this firm had confirmed to us that this could be Sonic welded, we had already ordered the molds. So we Ooh. had to go in and do mold iteration, which is way harder than, than, you know, creating a mold if you don't have it already. And that took quite a bit of time, quite a bit of lateral thinking. So I think the, the lesson here is number one, if you're, if you're a new inventor, 
you definitely need someone on your team or an advisor, or whether you pay them or whether you, you know, give them equity or whether you give them promises or whether they just like you. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter. You need somebody who's very familiar with manufacturing because making prototypes and mass manufacturing have completely different processes and completely different considerations. And I, I actually have friends who have started businesses and they had a great prototype, but they didn't realize that it could not be mass manufactured and it completely killed their business and, you know, they went bankrupt. So that's a strong, that's something you really need to consider, especially considering the fact that, you know, this is not my first product. I've come out with multiple products before. I am familiar with manufacturing. Uh, I have people on my team familiar with manufacturing. We hired a contractor as one of the largest you know, contractors in the United States for the specific thing. And still it was an unknown that managed to throw a wrench in our plans. So think about that and, and take that into consideration when even if you think you know something, you really have to be prepared for the fact that we're creating something completely new that's never been done before. And there may be issues that we'll have to have to solve along the way. Yeah, there's, there's, I think it's always something, like especially because you're dealing with electronics and moving parts. There's just so many little things that have to all work together and all have to uh, play its part in order for everything to work. And if one little circuit doesn't work or one little part doesn't work, then everything gets kaput. And obviously, you don't want to launch with a product and then have people have uh, issues with the equipment. And then obviously, people do reviews. And it's just such a delicate dance. Like you want to solve this problem. And obviously, the problem you're solving is not an easy one because obviously you're dealing with water pressure, you're dealing with moving parts. There's just a lot to it. And it's so nice and so exciting to see it all come together eventually. It took some time. Obviously, it's not something that happens overnight. But to the, the revolutionize how dentals is handled through flossing is really cool. It's just you, you're bold enough. You're uh, risk-taking uh, ability enough. You're, you're, uh, you're fearless enough, I guess. It's probably the best word to tackle this problem that no one else in the world has ever tried to tackle. And that to me, you deserve a lot of kudos for. And I don't know if you realize the stat, but 3% of all patents are ever brought to market. 3%. Wow. So you're, you're now part of the 3%. That's People amazing. take great ideas to the grave all the time. And yeah, you run into a lot of people, I'm sure, especially being an inventor, people are like, oh, I have an idea. Oh, I'm going to bring a product to market. Uh -huh, that's great but very few will actually follow through. So I want all of our listeners to truly understand how remarkable it is to bring a totally new concept to market. And a lot of patents that hit the market aren't new ideas, they're just modified ideas. So for you to come up with something totally new and totally different is even more rare than the 3%. So I just want the listening audience to understand how remarkable it is what you're doing. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I mean, I definitely think if you're going to devote, you know, many years of your life to a project and, and make no mistake, it will take many years uh you, you need to pursue the best idea you can come up with 100 and you said earlier you've, you brought six other products to market but this is the most exciting one and i'm sure the first one you came up with you thought that was the best one and your second one was probably better than your first one so you just keep getting better with age ellie so what's the seventh one going to be <laughs> or the eighth one the ninth one well actually we do have uh, quite a few ideas uh, insta floss for um for other ways we can help improve people's uh, health and hygiene but uh, the patents are not granted yet, so I can't. So you'll have to invite me back on. That's exactly right. Well, there's always going to be InstaFloss two and three and four. So 
uh, anyone that watches my pillow or uh, the shark vacuum, it, it, you're not over. You're not done yet. Once you have one great idea, there's typically more to come. And I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges. And if you're an inventor and you're listening to the show right now, I guarantee you recognize this. As an inventor, it's so hard to stop our mind from coming up with more ideas and bringing more products to market. But one of the biggest problems inventors have is they can't focus on one, get it to market, get traction, and then lots of second. They're already working on the second, the third, and the fourth. And none of them have success because they can't focus on one getting traction first. And that's a tough thing for inventors' minds to really just channel all their energy on one product, get it to market, make it the best it can be. Or they have another problem, which is they try and over-perfect it. Like it's not good enough for the market. Not, not quite yet. It's not good enough for market yet. And you keep messing with it, keep messing with it, messing with it. Next thing you know, you're six feet under and it was never perfect enough to hit the market. Or sometimes mm-hmm. you're better off coming with a product that's pretty good and realize you can always have a second and third version that are better than the first version. So those are two big problems I see with a lot of inventors. Can you relate with either one of those situations? I can relate with all of those situations, 100%. Uh, you know, it's, all, it's always a balancing act of, uh, you know, when it's ready um, to go to market. And I think when it comes down to it, you know, you're really limited by your, your capital and your money. Like if you had infinite amounts of money, you know, you could hire if any, and you're an inventor, you know, uh, then you could hire people to take it to market, you know, to, to be the CEO, to be the marketer, to be the CEO, CMO, CFO, etc. cetera. Uh, I think a lot of this issue is that when you're trying to bring a product to market, you're not just an inventor, you're also an entrepreneur. And that comes with its own, you know, responsibilities and uh, considerations. If you want to be just an inventor, uh, don't also be an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, just invent something, put it out there and, you know, hope some, someone takes it. But I think a lot of people, they, they want their product not just to be invented and to work, but, you know, to be on the market, to actually help people to actually accomplish something. And that also brings in more capital, which you can use to fund um, more projects. You know, I, I would not have been able to afford the InstaFloss development uh, without having done previous projects. So, you know, I think that's something that uh, that needs to be taken into consideration uh, very, very strongly. Um, and if you don't have a good financial sense, you're if you wait too long, you're going to run out of money. If you wait too short, your product's going to suck and it won't make any money. So, you know, you you definitely have to keep the finances in mind, especially when it comes to like cost per unit. What are people willing to pay? Uh, is my uh, one problem I see a lot with a lot of inventors is they're so emotionally attached to the product that they lose all financial sense. They either make the product way too expensive, you know, and it's like, oh, but this is the best it could be. Like, yeah, this is the best it could be, but it could be 10% not as good for like 1% the cost, you know, and that's a better solution. Uh, you know, like, oh, it's a it's $2,000 now for 2% uh, improvement. You know, that's, that's not the path that you that is the smartest to go on for the market, but a lot of inventors are very emotionally attached uh, and they just like for their ego, they need the product to be as good as it is, as it could be regardless of the price. And um, the uh, other issue, you know, is for example, if your product has software, uh, I see some inventors, they're always, always, always updating the software, putting all their money into that and not coming out with another product. So they never make any more money and eventually they'll run out of money. Uh, so uh, you, know, you definitely want to create the best product you can. 
you know, absolutely 100%. Uh, but you're not just an inventor, you're also an entrepreneur, and you have to take that into consideration. Yep, exactly right. And it's hard to wear both hats, but you got to in order for to have the ultimate success. So that answer brings me to two more questions, and I want to keep it short and sweet just because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I think it's really a, a tough question that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, and I want to get your input on it. Setting the price is a tough one because, again, if there's nothing out there like it, how do you set the price? Obviously, some people look at their costs, uh, but they also have to look at what the market will bear. How did you come up with the price for the instant loss? Uh, so, you know, that's that's a this is something you can approach from multiple directions. You know, the first, I would say the most fundamental way to approach it is to start with your your cost and to know what is the minimum you actually could sell this for, because you can't do less than that. You know, you're, you can't lose money. You have in general, um, the cost of the product needs to be a, a minimum of three X the cost of manufacturing. If it's less than 3x the cost of manufacturing, that becomes really tight to operate your business because if you go to retail, they're going to want um, the product at you know a third less than retail price, if not more. If you go to distribution, you know they're going to need a cut for the distributors and the retailers, so a third for the retailers and then maybe 20% for the distributors. And you know if you don't have 3x, suddenly you're not looking at any profit for yourself. If you're doing direct e-commerce. Uh, a row as of three is, you know, phenomenal. Uh, like, uh, if you know, it, it's like expected. I wouldn't say it's phenomenal, but like a row as of three is something that you have to like conservatively estimate. Is what I mean. And uh, if you're spending a third on the, uh, if if you're spending a third on the manufacturing, spending a third on the advertising. Uh, if you're not, if your product doesn't cost three times more than the cost, then there's just not a lot of margin. So that's the minimum. You have to approach it with a minimum of three x, four x, five x. More is better, obviously. You know, look at Apple. Uh, the second way to approach it is be like, well, what are people currently paying for similar things? And you could say, well, okay, my products can be three x my manufacturing costs, but people are already spending ten x my manufacturing costs on a solution that's half as good. So I could at least match their price and be better in quality and then gain market share that way. So that's the, the second way you could go about it. And the third way to go about it is to really think about how big of a deal is this and what is the most people would be willing to pay? You know, that's something that that's like definitely the Apple approach. So you've got your 3X, uh, your manufacturing, you've got your comparable pricing to what's in the market, and then you've got, well, let's just push the maximum. That is the hardest to determine uh, because there's no data out there. There isn't, the, you know, the manufacturing cost, you have the numbers. With the other products in the market, you have, you know, comparables to look at. But with just thinking, oh, well, my solution is so great, people should pay more. Well, you know, that's kind of put your finger in the air. However, these days, there actually is a pretty decent way to do that, and that's A-B testing. You can have multiple prices uh, on your website where you show 10% of your audience price one, 10% price two, and so on. And then you, if you get enough data, if you get enough data, you can then see a fascinating uh, you know, plot of the data to see what actually makes you the most profit. And if you could do that, that's definitely the most data-driven uh way to go about it. And, you know, I'd recommend doing that if you can. Not everyone can, 
depending on how you go to market. Also, if you have uh, retail contracts or anything like that, you can't do that. You can't mess up the price. You can't, you know, uh, you know, mess with a, a negotiated price that you have a contract for. So if you are going to do that, you should do that before you have any retail contracts. That way you're free to experiment and then move from there. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also to add to that, whatever price you put on your website, it better be higher than what they put on the retail. Because then mm -hmm. people are going to shop your website while they're at the retail and they're going to walk away from the retail and retail is not going to be happy with that decision. So be aware of that. Don't try and undercut your retailers. They're there to help support you and help your business grow. That's also equally important. Uh, I have one other big question for you that I know everyone that's uh, an inventor or business owner always struggles with. And it may not necessarily apply just to Insaflos, but just in your other previous inventions you brought to market. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier, funding. You did crowdfunding to 2.5 million uh, in crowdfunding, which is an incredible accomplishment. But what have you found has been the most effective way to raise capital? Because I think every business that's pushing and scaling and growing always needs more money. And there's, you know, you'll get calls and anyone that's a business owner listening, they know I get a dozen calls a day. Hey, you need capital, you need capital, you need capital. But they're all short-term loan cash advance people. That's like a deal with the devil. Now, if you have to do it, you have to do it. And there are times where you need cash flow for the next step, the next growth phase. And you, you take it and you pay it off quickly and you move on. But what have you found has been the best way to bring in cash in the business that's healthy? That's super context dependent. Uh, so I can't say that there is one best way. I would say that I personally would prefer to uh, take in money via sales than via investment because then you're not giving up equity and you're actually making traction. However, that's only possible if you can make sales. So um, a lot of companies, you know, they, they, their development is far longer or, you know, they don't have something that is, let's say they're, they're B2B, right? If you have an idea for other businesses, you know, pre-orders is not necessarily something that is a viable option for you. So there's so many paths to funding and it needs to be a bespoke um, solution. If you could use sales, that's even better than raising money. If you can get cheap loans, then that is perhaps better than, uh, um investment sometimes depending on the terms and depending on, on both the terms the terms of the investment in terms of the loan and then there's also getting investment and that's a whole other world um we've taken in addition to the, the 2.5 million um in pre-orders for instance floss we've also taken 1.3 million in investments we needed to because it's been a five-year r d process and you know, I, I much prefer the uh, the pre-orders to the investment, um, but with the investment, it really depends on what stage you're at. You know, is your product on the market yet, uh, or you know, do you have traction? You know, that's whether you know your angel, your seed, your Series A, etc. I, I will say though that the more traction you can do, the more traction you can have, the better off you'll be raising funds. You know, the harder it is, the early, the more you need them and the earlier it is, the harder it is to raise any any funds from investors and banks. You know, everything gets easier the more traction you have, uh, regardless of the path you want to take, you know, whether that's investment or, or loans. So my recommendation would be do your best to make as much traction as possible before you seek investment. 
because that way when you do seek the investment, you'll be in the best position possible. That's great. I appreciate that because I, I think all our listeners are in different stages in their business. Uh, I think those that have been in business three years, five years, 10 years, ready to scale or grow, they want to grow, but their revenue or their sales may not be enough to pay for all those scaling and advancements. So that's where they're stuck in that position of, okay, well, I got my bills paid. The company's doing fine, but I'm not making enough in the business to make that next step. So if I need more capital, where should I get it from? And I think your answer is exactly correct. You know, the more traction you have, the more years you have in business, the more solid your bank statements are, the more the list of people that are willing to help you grows longer. Mm-hmm. The earlier you ask without traction, without bank statements, without proof of concept, the less you want to take that risk. So I think, I think that's good. Uh, that's good advice to get out there, get the traction, get out there in the uh, in the trenches, get the work done, get the revenue going, and then those options will open up for you. Yeah, that's so absolutely Ellie, true. Ellie, thank you so much for being on the show. You've been a wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it. Again, I always love having fellow inventors in the show because I love to hear everyone's unique story, challenges, uh, different things they've gone through, and the success stories you've had, uh, the things you've learned. Uh, you're in Mexico right now as we speak, uh, making it all happen, seeing your idea uh, come through an assembly line, which has got to be super cool and super exciting. And I just can't wait to see you on television and seeing in magazines and like, hey, I know Ellie. We, we talked way back when, when he first launched in Saflanas. So, uh, I, again, I congratulate you on all your success and all your future success. So all the listeners now are got their pen and paper ready. They want to jot down how they can order an InstaFloss. So help them out with the website or social media, whatever you want to give out to help them order and learn more about InstaFloss. Absolutely. So you can find everything on InstaFloss.com. It's like an instant floss, but InstaFloss or like Instagram, but InstaFloss.com. Whether you want to order one, whether you want to learn more, whether you want to contact us or get through to me, Uh, There is a contact page and you can reach out and we will read your email and we will respond. Uh, So uh, just go to instafloss.com. Everything's there. Awesome. Ellie, congratulations. Again, I can't tell you how excited I am for you and for all the people out there, they're going to have well-flossed teeth as a result of your innovation. So thank you for all that you do and all you continue to do to make it the best product possible. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a lot of fun to talk about. Oh, I appreciate it. And you've listened to another episode of the Perky Collar Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. What is the Perky Collar? It is a collar support system for dress shirts. That's right. Over 18,000 of these amazing devices have been sold globally. How does it work? Lift the collar, add the Perky Collar with the long tapered ends on top, lower your collar on top. Adjust to make sure it's even around the collar, and that's it. You've now transformed your droopy, saggy dress shirt collar to a brand new looking dress shirt, ready to tackle sweaters, jackets, blazers, and the collar still stays nice and tall. How do you find it? The website is perkyllc.com. That's spelled P as in Paul, E as in Elephant, R as in Robert, K as in Kangaroo, Y as in Yo-Yo, LLC, LarryLarryCharlie.com. That's perkyllc.com. Get yours today, or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting or live here, feel free to come by South Park Mall's kiosk located between Francesca's and Toomey. Best entrance is Maggiano's and Cheesecake Factory. See you soon. Look your best. Have a great day.
Turkey LLC is a clothing innovation company. We solve clothing-related problems such as the droopy, saggy dress shirt collar, the pocket square that doesn't seem to sit still pop- properly, it unfolds, it falls down, the shirt that keeps coming untucked, collar stays that keep curling on you, and more and more issues with your belt, cracking, splitting, holeless belts are the solution. You can adjust them by a quarter inch instead of having to go up an inch or down an inch. What about that lapel you want to use as an accent color to match a dress or as a color accent to your wardrobe? This and many other fun fashion accessories are available at PerkyLLC.com. Beyond innovation, we also have fashion accessories, bow ties, you name it, from feather to blingy to wooden, even wooden ones that move, even wooden ones that showcase the skyline of cities all across the country. Check out PerkyLLC.com for all these great fashion accessories, and innovative solutions. Are you ready to publish your own book? Do you have a story to tell? Does the world need to hear your story? Now is your chance. Go to https colon forward slash go go dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. That's right. It's as simple as that. They'll walk you through every step needed to publish your own book. And watch out. Be ready to be an Amazon bestseller, maybe a Wall Street Journal bestseller, or maybe even New York Times bestseller. It all starts with a single step and having the right team around you. Again, go to https colon forward slash go, G-O dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. Look forward to seeing your amazing results.